0: Letter 32, Part 2, of Pamela, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Pamela, Volume 2, by Samuel Richardson. Letter 32, Part 2, Saturday morning. The Countess being a little indisposed, Lady Davers and I took an airing this morning in the chariot, and had a long discourse together. Her ladyship was pleased to express great favour and tenderness towards me, gave me much good advice as to the care she would have me take of myself, and told me that her hopes as well as her brothers, all centred in my welfare, and that the way I was in made her love me better and better. She was pleased to tell me how much she approved of the domestic management, and to say that she never saw such regularity and method in any family in her life. Where was the like number of servants? Every one, she said, knew their duty, and did it without speaking to, in such silence, and with so much apparent cheerfulness and delight, without the least hurry or confusion, that it was her surprise and admiration, but kindly would have it, that I took too much care upon me. Yet, yeah, said she, I don't see but you are always fresh and lively, and never seem tired or fatigued, and are always dressed and easy, so that no company find you unprepared or unfit to receive them. Come when they will, whether it be to breakfast or dinner, I told her ladyship I owed all this and most of the conduct for which she was pleased to praise me to her dear brother." Who at the beginning of my happiness gave me several cautions and instructions for my behaviour, which had been the rule of my conduct ever since, and I hoped ever would be. To say nothing, added I, which yet would be very unjust, of the assistance I had received from worthy Mrs. Jervis, who is an excellent manager. Good creature, sweet Pamela, and charming girl were her common words. She was pleased to attribute to me a graceful and unaffected ease and that I have a natural dignity in my person and behaviour, which at once command love and reverence, so that, my dear Miss Darnford, I am in danger of being proud, for you must believe that her ladyship's approbation gives me great pleasure, and the more, as I was afraid before she came, I should not have come on near so well in her opinion. As the chariot passed along, she took great notice of the respects paid me, by people of different ranks, and of the blessings bestowed upon me, by several as we proceeded, and said she should fare well, and be rich in good wishes, for being in my company. The good people who know us will do so, madam, said I, but I had rather have their silent prayers than their audible ones, and I have caused some of them to be told so. What I apprehend is, that you will be more uneasy to-morrow, when at church you'll see a good many people in the same way. Indeed, my story, and your dear brother's tenderness to me, are so much talked of, that many strangers are brought hither to see us. "'Tis the only thing,' continued I, and so it is, miss, that makes me desirous to go to London, for by the time we return the novelty, I hope, will cease. Then I mentioned some verses of Mr. Cowley, which were laid under my cushion in our seat at church, two Sundays ago, by some unknown hand, and how uneasy they have made me. I will transcribe them, my dear, and give you the particulars of our conversation on that occasion. The verses are these. Thou robbest my days of business and delights, of sleep thou robbest my nights. Ah, lovely thief, what wilt thou do? What rob me of heaven too? Thou, even my prayers dost steal from me, and I, with wild idolatry, begin to God and end them all to thee, know to what purpose should I speak, no wretched heart swell till you break; she cannot love me if she would, and to say truth twere pity that she should know to the grave thy sorrow bear as silent as they will be there, since that loved hand this mortal wound does give so handsomely the thing contrive, that she may guiltless of it live, so perish that her killing thee, may a chance medley and no murder be. I had them in my pocket and read them to my lady, who asked me if her brother had seen them. I told her it was he that found them under the cushion I used to sit upon, but did not show them to me till I came home, and that I was so vexed at them that I could not go to church in the afternoon.' "'What should you be vexed at, my dear?' said she. "'How could you help it?' "'My brother was not disturbed at them, was he?' "'No, indeed,' replied I, "'he chid me for being so, "'and was pleased to make a fine compliment upon it "'that he did not wonder that everybody who saw me loved me. "'But I said this was all that wicked wit is good for, "'to inspire such boldness in bad hearts, "'which might otherwise not dare to set pen to paper "'to affront any one.' But ''Pray, madam,'' added I, ''don't own I have told you of them, lest the least shadow of a thought should arise, that I was prompted by some vile secret vanity to tell your ladyship of them, when I am sure they have vexed me more than enough. For is it not a sad thing that the church should be profaned by such actions and such thoughts as ought not to be brought into it? Then, madam, to have any wicked man dare to think of one, with impure notions, it gives me the less opinion of myself that I should be so much as thought of as the object of any wicked body's wishes. I have called myself to account upon it, whether any levity in my looks, my dress, my appearance, could embolden such an offensive insolence, and I have thought upon this occasion better of Julius Caesar's delicacy than I did when I read of it, who, upon an attempt made on his wife, to which, however, it does not appear she gave the least encouragement, said to those who pleaded for her against the divorce he was resolved upon, that the wife of Caesar ought not to be suspected. Indeed, madam, continued I, it would extremely shock me, but to know that any wicked heart had conceived a design upon me, upon me, give me leave to repeat, whose only glory and merit is, that I have had the grace to withstand the greatest of trials and temptations from the gentleman more worthy to be beloved, both for person and mind, than any man in England. Your observation, my dear, is truly delicate, and such as becomes your mind and character, and I really think if any lady in the world is secure from vile attempts, it must be you not only from your story, so well known, and the love you bear to your man, and his merit to you, but from the prudence and natural dignity. I will say of your behaviour, which, though easy and cheerful, is what would strike dead the hope of any presumptuous libertine the moment he sees you. How can I enough, returned I, and kissed her hand, acknowledge your ladyship's polite goodness in this compliment. But, my lady, you see, by the very instance I have mentioned, that a liberty is taken which I cannot think of without pain. I am pleased with your delicacy, my dear, as I said before. You can never err, whilst thus watchful over your conduct, and I owe you have the more reason for it, as you have married a mere Julius Caesar, an open-eyed rake, that was her word, who would, on the least surmise, though ever so causeless on your part, have all his passions up in arms in fear of liberties being offered like those he had not scrupled to take. But, madam, said I, he has given me great satisfaction on one point. For you must think I should not love him as I ought if I had not a concern for his future happiness as well as for his present. And that is, he assured me that in all the liberties he has taken, he never attempted a married lady but always abhorred the thought of so great an evil. "'Tis pity,' said her ladyship, "'that a man who would conquer his passions so far "'could not subdue them entirely. "'This shows it was in his own power to do so, "'and increases his crime, "'and what a wretch he is, "'who, scrupling under pretence of conscience or honour, "'to attempt ladies within the pale, "'boggles not to ruin a poor creature without.' although he knows, he thereby most probably for ever deprived her of that protection by preventing her marriage, which even among such rakes as himself is deemed he owns inviolable, and so cast the poor creature headlong into the jaws of perdition. Ah, madam, replied I, this was the very inference I made upon the occasion, and what could he say? He said my inference was just, but called me Pretty Preacher, and once having cautioned me not to be over-serious to him, so as to cast a gloom, as he said, over our innocent enjoyments, I never dare to urge Matter's farther, when he calls me by that name. "'Well,' said my lady, "'thou art an admirable girl. God's goodness was great to our family when it gave thee to it. No wonder,' continued she, "'as my brother says, everybody that sees you and has heard your character loves you, and this is some excuse for the inconsiderate folly even of this unknown transcriber. Ah, oh, madam, replied I, but is it not a sad thing that people, if they must take upon them to like one's behaviour in general, should have the worst instead of the best thoughts upon it? If I were as good as I ought to be, and as some think me, must they wish to make me bad for that reason? Her ladyship was pleased to kiss me as we sat. My charming Pamela, my more than sister, did she say. Yes, she did say so, and made my eyes overflow with joy to hear the sweet epithet. How your conversation charms me. I charge you when you go to town, let me have your remarks on the diversions you will be carried to by my brother.' Now I know what to expect from you, and you know how acceptable everything from you will be to me. I promise great pleasure, as well to myself as to my worthy friends, particularly to Lady Betty, in your unrestrained free correspondence. Indeed, Pamela, I must bring you acquainted with Lady Betty. She is one of the worthies of our sex, and has a fine understanding. I'm sure you'll like her, but for the world, say it not to my brother, nor let Lady Betty know I tell you so, if ever you should be acquainted. I had carried the matter so far by my officious zeal to have my brother married to so fine a lady, not doubting his joyful approbation, that it was no small disappointment to her when he married you, and this is the best excuse I can make for my furious behaviour to you at the Hall for though I am naturally very hasty and passionate, yet then I was almost mad. Indeed, my disappointment had given me so much indignation, both against you and him, that it is well I did not do some violent thing by you. I believe you did feel the weight of my hand. But what was that? Was well I did not kill you dead. These were her ladyship's words, for how could I think the wild libertine capable being engaged by such noble motives, or thee what thou art. So this will account to thee a little for my violence then. Your Ladyship, said I, all these things considered had but too much reason to be angry at your dear brother's proceedings, as well as you always loved him, so high a concern as you always had to promote his honour and interest, and so far as you had gone with Lady Betty. I tell thee, Pamela, that the old story of Eleanor and Rosamond run in my head all the way of my journey, and I almost wish for a potion to force down my throat when I found they lewd paramour absent. For little did I think thou wast married to him, though I expected thou wast try to persuade me to believe it, fearing that his intrigue with thee would effectually frustrate my hopes as to Lady Betty and him now thought i all happens as i wish now will i confront this brazen girl now will i try her innocence as i please by offering to take her away with me if she refuses take that refusal for a demonstration of her guilt and then thought i i will make the creature provoke me in the presence of my nephew and my woman and i hope to have got that woman dupes to testify for me too and I cannot tell what I might have done, if thou hast not escaped out of the window, especially after telling me thou wast as much married as I was, and had shown me his tender letter to thee, which had a quite different effect upon me than you expected. But if I had committed any act of violence, what remorse should I have had on reflection, and knowing what an excellence I had injured? Thank God thou didst escape me and then her ladyship folded her arms about me and kissed me. This was a sad story, you'll say, my dear, and I wonder what her ladyship's passion would have made her do. Surely she would not have killed me dead. Surely she would not. Let it not, however, Miss Darnford, nor you, my parents, when you see it, go out of your own hands, nor be read, for my Lady davis sake, to anybody else no, not to your own mamma. It made me tremble a little, even at this distance, to think what a sad thing passion is, when way is given to its ungovernable tumults, and how it deforms and debases the noblest minds. We returned from this agreeable airing just in time to dress before dinner, and then my lady and I went together into the countess's apartment, where I received abundance of compliments from both as this brief conversation will give you some notion of that management and economy for which they heaped upon me their kind praises i will recite to you what passed in it and hope you will not think me too vain and the less because what i underwent formerly from my lady's indignation half entitles me to be proud of her present kindness and favour lady Davis said your ladyship must excuse us that we have lost so much of your company but here THE SWEET GIRL HAS SO ENTERTAINED ME THAT I COULD HAVE STAYED OUT WITH HER ALL DAY, AND SEVERAL TIMES DID I BID THE COACHMAN PROLONG HIS circuit. MY GOOD LADY DAVERS, MADAM, SAID I, HAS GIVEN ME AN EXPRESSIBLE PLEASURE, AND HAS BEEN ALL condescension AND FAVOR, AND MADE ME AS PROUD AS PROUD CAN BE. YOU, MY DEAR MRS. B, SAID SHE, MAY HAVE GIVEN GREAT PLEASURE TO LADY DAVERS, FOR IT CANNOT BE OTHERWISE. "'but I have no great notion of her ladyship's condescension, "'as you call it.' "'Pardon me, madam,' said she to her, smiling, "'when she cannot raise her style above the word girl, "'coming off from a tour you have made so delightful to her.' "'I protest to you, my lady C,' replied her ladyship, "'with great goodness. "'That word, which once I used through pride, as you call it, "'I now use for a very different reason. "'I begin to doubt whether to call her sister,' is not more honour to myself than to her, and to this hour I am not quite convinced. When I am, I will call her so with pleasure. I was quite overcome with this fine compliment, but could not answer a word, and the countess said, I could have spared you longer, had not the time of day compelled your return, for I have been very agreeably entertained, as well as you, although but with the talk of your woman and mine, for here they have been giving me such an account of Mrs. B.'s economy and family management, as has highly delighted me. I never knew the like, and in so young a lady too. We shall have strange reformations to make in our families, Lady Davers, when we go home, were we to follow so good an example. Why, my dear Mrs. B., continued her ladyship, you outdo all your neighbours, and indeed I am glad I live so far from you, for were i to try to imitate you it would still be but imitation and you'd have the honour of it yet you hear and you see by yesterday's conversation said lady davers how much her best neighbours of both sexes admire her they all yield to her palm unenvying then my good ladies said i it is a sign i have most excellent neighbours full of generosity and willing to encourage a young person in doing right things, so it makes considering what I was more for their honour than my own. For what censures should not such a one as I deserve? Who have not been educated to fill up my time like ladies of condition? Were I not to employ myself as I do, I, who have so little other merit, and who brought no fortune at all? Come, come, Pamela, "'None of your self-denying ordinances.' "'That was Lady Davers' word. "'You must know something of your own excellence. "'If you do not, I'll tell you, "'because there is no fear you will be proud or vain upon it. "'I don't see, then, that there is the lady in yours, "'or any neighbourhood, that behaves with more decorum, "'or better keeps up the part of a lady than you do. "'How you manage it I can't tell, "'but you do as much by a look, and a pleasant one too.' that's the rarity, as I do by high words and passionate exclamations. I have often nothing but blunder upon blunder, as if the wretches were in a confederacy to try my patience. Perhaps, said I, the awe they have of your ladyship, because of your high qualities, makes them commit blunders, for I myself was always more afraid of appearing before your ladyship, when you have visited your honoured mother, than of anybody else, "'and have been the more sensibly awkward "'through that very awful respect. Psh, pshaw, pshaw, psh, psh, Pamela, that is not it. "'Tis all in yourself. "'I used to think my mamma and my brother, too, "'had as awkward servants as ever I saw anywhere, "'except Mrs. Jervis. "'Well enough for a bachelor, indeed. "'But here thou hast not parted with one servant, hast thou?' "'No, madam.' "'How?' said the countess. "'What excellence is here? All of them, pardon me, Mrs. B., your fellow-servants, as one may say, and all of them so respectful, so watchful of your eye, and you at the same time so gentle to them, so easy, so cheerful. Don't you think me, my dear, insufferably vain, but tis what they were pleased to say. T'was their goodness to me, and showed how much they can excel in generous politeness. So I will proceed.' Why, this continued the Countess, must be born dignity, born discretion. Education cannot give it. If it could, why should not we have it? The ladies said many more kind things of me then, and after dinner they mentioned all over again, with additions, before my best friend, who was kindly delighted with the encomiums given me by two ladies of such distinguishing judgment in all other cases they told him how much they admired my family management. Then they would have it that my genius was universal, for the employments and accomplishments of my sex, whether they considered it as employed in penmanship, in needlework, in paying or receiving visits, in music, and I can't tell how many other qualifications, which they were pleased to attribute to me, over and above the family management, saying that I had an understanding which comprehended everything, and an eye that penetrated into the very bottom of matters in a moment, and never was at a loss for the should be, the why or wherefore, and the how. These were their comprehensive words, that I did everything with celerity, clearing all as I went, and left nothing. They observed to come over again, that could be dispatched at once, by which means, they said, Every hand was clear to undertake a new work, as well as my own head to direct it, and there was no hurry nor confusion, but every coming hour was fresh and ready, and unencumbered, so they said, for its new employment, and to this they attributed the ease and pleasure with which everything was performed, and that I could do and cause to be done so much business without hurry either to myself or servants.' Judge how pleasing this was to my best beloved, who found in their kind approbation such a justification of his own conduct as could not fail of being pleasing to him, especially as Lady Davers was one of the kind praisers. Lord Davis was so highly delighted that he rose once, begging his brother's excuse to salute me, and stood over my chair with a pleasure in his looks that cannot be expressed.' now and then lifting up his hands, and his good-natured eye glistening with joy, which a pier-glass gave me the opportunity of seeing, as sometimes I stole a bashful glance towards it, not knowing how or which way to look. Even Mr. H seemed to be touched very sensibly, and recollecting his behaviour to me at the hall, he once cried out, "'What a sad whelp was I, to behave as I formerly did,' to so much excellence. Not, Mr. B., that I was anything uncivil neither, but in unworthy sneers and nonsense. You know me well enough. You called me tinselled Boy, though, madam, don't you remember that, and said twenty or thirty years hence when I was at age, you'd give me an answer. Egad, gad, I shall never forget your looks, nor your words neither. They were severe speeches, were they not?' "'Sir?' "'Oh, you see, Mr. H,' replied my dear Mr. B. "'Pamela is not quite perfect. "'We must not provoke her, for she'll call us both so. "'Perhaps, for I wear a laced coat sometimes, as well as you.' "'Nay, I can't be angry,' said he. "'I deserved it richly, that I did, had it been worse. "'Thy silly tongue,' said my lady, "'runs on without fear or wit. "'What's past is past.' Why, madam, I was plaguyly wrong, and I said nothing of anybody but myself, and have been ready to hang myself since, as often as I have thought of my nonsense. My nephew, said my lord, must bring in hanging or the gallows in every speech he makes, or it will not be he. Mr. B. smiling said, with severity enough in his meaning, as I saw by the turn of his countenance. Mr. H. knows that his birth and family entitled him more to the block than the rope, or he would not make so free with the latter. Good, very good, by Jupiter, said Mr. H., laughing. The Countess smiled. Lady Davis shook her head at her brother, and said to her nephew, Thou'rt a good-natured foolish fellow, that thou art. For what, madam? Why, the word foolish, aunt. What have I said now? "'Nothing to any purpose indeed,' said she. "'When thou dost, I'll write it down.' "'Then, madam,' said he, "'have your pen and ink always about you when I am present, "'and put that down to begin with.' "'This made everyone laugh. "'What a happy thing is it,' thought I, "'that good nature generally accompanies this character. else, how would some people be supportable? "'But here I'll break off. "'Tis time,' you'll say. "'But you know to whom I write, as well as to yourself.' "'and they'll be pleased with all my silly scribble. "'So excuse one part for that, "'and another for friendship's sake, "'and then I shall be wholly excusable to you.' "'Now the trifler again resumes her pen. "'I am in some pain, miss, "'but to-morrow, because of the rules we observe of late "'in our family on Sundays, "'and of going through a crowd to church, "'which will afford new scenes to our noble visitors, "'either for censure or otherwise,' but I will sooner be censured for doing what I think my duty than for the want of it, and so will omit nothing that we have been accustomed to do. I hope I shall not be thought ridiculous, or as one who aims at works of supererogation, for what I think is very short of my duty. Some order, surely, becomes the heads of families, and besides it would be discrediting one's own practice if one did not appear at one time what one does at another. For that which is a reason for discontinuing a practice for some company would seem to be a reason for laying it aside for ever, especially in a family visiting and visited as ours, and I remember well a hint given me by my dearest friend once on another subject that it is in every one's power to prescribe rules to himself. After a while, and persons to see what is one's way, and that one is not to be put out of it. But my only doubt is that to ladies who have not been accustomed, perhaps, to the necessary strictness, I should make myself censurable. And if I aimed at too much perfection, for, however one's duty is one's duty, and ought not to be dispensed with, yet when a person, who uses to be remiss, sees so hard a task before them, and so many great points to get over, all to be no more than tolerably regular, it is rather apt to frighten and discourage than to allure, and one must proceed, as I have read soldiers do, in a difficult siege, inch by inch, and be more studious to entrench and fortify themselves, as they go on gaining upon the enemy, than by rushing all at once upon an attack of the place, be repulsed, and perhaps obliged with great loss, to abandon a hopeful enterprise, and permit me to add that young as I am, I have often observed that ever-great strictnesses, all at once enjoined and insisted upon, are not fit for a beginning reformation, but for stronger Christians only, and therefore generally do more harm than good. But shall I not be too grave, my dear friend? Excuse me, for this is Saturday night, and as it was a very good method, which the ingenious authors of The Spectator took, generally to treat their more serious subjects on this day, so I think one should, when one can, consider it as the preparative eve to a still better. End of Letter 32 Part 2